I think the other piece, John, is like not just in terms of talent from different organizations and different industries, but also rethinking our whole talent strategy in terms of where to find talent. We're being much more selective in terms of going out to find those niche skills that we don't have access to within the organization. You know, the whole like the buy, build, borrow, I've heard bounce, bought, all these B words, but being very discerning about where we're going to buy and being, you know, broader in our thinking in terms of where we're going to get those skills. I'm John Fitzgerald, host of the Cord Podcast. I'm curious about the changing world of work. I want to have conversations that will help us all become future ready. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Cord Podcast. Today, I'm joined by the Global Talent Director for Diageo, Joan Hodgins. And uh, Joan is responsible for the talent of Diageo, which is a global business, as we know, with uh, iconic brands, over 200 brands in 180 countries globally and over 27,000 people employed. So no small job that Joan has. Joan and myself met back in the early 2000s when she was starting her corporate career. And I'm just seeing that, uh, Joan, you joined Diageo in 2002. So it's 20 years later we're having this conversation now. So you're very welcome to the podcast, Joan. Thanks very much, John. Great to be here. So our topic today is becoming a talent builder and the work that uh, I look at that you're doing in Diageo globally is a great place to work. I've always admired the growth and the talent and the way that you've grown people throughout that organization. But I suppose for yourself, Joan, a little bit about your growth and formative years and starting out in your childhood influences. We like to ask a nice heavy coaching question at the start. Tell me a little bit about you starting out in life and what brought you into the career that you're in today. Well, it's a great place to start, John, at the very beginning. It reminds me of Freud's teachings about how personality is shaped so much by our early childhood experiences. Well, I come from humble beginnings and that's something that I'm proud of. I grew up in a little village called Clotterhead in County Louth. Loud and proud, as my sister Fran would say. We didn't have very much in the way of wealth or material riches, but that was more than made up for by my parents, who were very keen to ensure that we made the absolute most of what we had, particularly where educational and learning opportunities were concerned. They encouraged us to look out for other people, especially the more vulnerable in the community, and really helped to ensure that we didn't take things for granted. And I suppose my parents really instilled in us a sense of community and curiosity and the value of learning. I'm one of seven children, John, and my mother, who had very, very little in the way of formal education, she was effectively orphaned aged nine. She had to leave school aged 12 to work on the farm at home but she was very much self-educated and probably the wisest person I knew. And she used to say to us as children, teach us what you learned today when we come home from school. So really putting us in the role of teacher, which reinforced her own learning while also helping her learn. And I suppose just one other story about my dad, which 
shares a little bit about, you know, who I am. On our way to mass on a Sunday, daddy would stop the car to give a lift to some combination of elderly people walking to church. Now, the only issue was there were already seven of us in the back of the Hillman Hunter. So the door would open and at least five of us would be gently encouraged or pushed out to make way for our elders. And so we'd arrive at mass always late, often wet, but more in tune with the people and with the world around us. Very good. God, you bring back memories. We had a Hillman Hunter as well <laughs> when we were growing up. So that's a fascinating insight into your childhood and, as you say, humble beginnings. And you remained humble throughout your life, Joan, in your own career. You studied psychology then. So what brought you into psychology? And you obviously went into consultancy with Kern Candola before joining Diageo. Thanks, John. So I suppose my career to date, it combines academic, retail, consultancy, generalist and more specialist fields in human resources and in psychology and international experience then with Diageo, where I've grown so much and you know, continue to have opportunities to learn every day. So in terms of the psychology, when I was in secondary school, I was introduced to psychology by one of my older brothers who was doing an open university course on the subject. And he had basically left a textbook hanging around and I came upon it and I started reading it and I was intrigued and then hooked. And being one of seven children, living in a small village was probably a lesson in human behaviour in itself. So I did go on to study psychology then at university and I was very fortunate in that I excelled at it. And I suppose it's as the saying goes, love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life. I did well in my degree and I got a scholarship for further study. I did a postgrad. I had done my degree in UCD and then I got a postgrad in occupational psychology in University College Cork. It was a very new field and um, it wasn't well known at the time. There would have been probably a couple of practices like Savile and Holdsworth with more of a global presence and then Pern Condola and YSC in the UK and a few others. I was job hunting for a few months out of college and I moved back home. The only thing that I really remember vividly from that period, John, was something that my father used to say to me. I was feeling a bit bad at the time that I wasn't earning. Business psychology was supposed to be my accelerator to wealth. But dad would say to me, your company is money to us, Joan. And um, so showing some kindness and empathy. And that's something I try to do now, particularly when the more judgmental side of me or the less patient side of me is coming out <laughs> with my own children. So I got a job then in UCC. Actually, my professor came and asked me to come join him just a couple of months after I had graduated. And he was setting up a business, creating psychometric tests for use in industry where we would have our own normative data for companies. And I worked there for two years with Murray Porteous, then actually got another job through another lecturer in UCC with Blarney Woolen Mills as a HR generalist, and then went back into the field of occupational psychology. So I joined Pern Condola, who were a practice of occupational psychologists. Joanna Fullerton and Michael Pern were establishing their first office outside of the UK, setting up the Dublin office. 
and I worked with Pern Condola for six years, you know, which was a great place to learn. Fantastic journey and learning. And you mentioned children there. And I know now that you've traveled the globe, you've worked in different locations globally. But I'm just thinking about the life and journeys of a woman in her career, bringing her family around the globe and the challenges that presents. Just maybe share a little bit about that from your perspective in how you, I suppose, grow your talent within an organization. Sure. So I have to say, I can't say I had a grand plan when I started out, John. You know, I've probably learned some things about that over time that, you know, I'm able um, to share with people in Diageo and outside. But I joined a global company with an aspiration of traveling and seeing the world. You know, maybe it was because I had such a stable background. I actually wanted something different for my own children. And what attracted me to Diageo was the brands Baileys and Guinness, but also the fact that it was a global company and would open up the world to the family. So I had my first child, Georgia. She's now 21 years of age. Again, very candidly, I found it difficult to combine work and family. At the time I was working in consultancy, it was very full on. And actually, with an increasing international client base, there was a lot of travel. There was a lot of you know, leaving baby at home, bringing her actually just wasn't an option at the time. I think as time has moved on, we've all, you know, found different ways of doing things and there's a lot more flexibility involved. But back then, 21 years ago, this just wasn't an option. And I decided that it wasn't really how I wanted to live my life as a mother. So with that in mind, I joined Diageo. Diageo had actually been a client of ours when I was working in consultancy. And when I first joined Diageo, my manager, Gary Elliott, said, the world is your oyster. Where do you want to go? And the first thing that came into my head actually was that I want to be the HR director for Australia. I don't know if it was the lure of sunshine and sea on the face um, coming from Ireland, But I was conscious that my husband, Martin, he had a dream of living and working in Australia. In fact, he'd been training for the Sydney Olympics in 2000. He was a rower, but an accident put paid to that dream. That's for another day, John. But joining a global company was definitely a ticket to an international career. And, you know, the decisions that I've made along the way, you know, very much thinking about how the family can be together. And I've had the joy of a few different international experiences. I worked in the States for three years where the family came. We were based out of Naperville, Illinois, close to Chicago. And then we also spent a year. So the dream did come true in terms of going to Australia. It was a bit later on, back in 2015 and 16. We did go to Australia as a family. So just that idea of the family being together was important. And I've enjoyed great flexibility, actually, with Diageo in that I've done a range of roles, John, over those 20 years. So when not together as a family abroad, I've always been enabled to base myself out of Ireland. You know, so I'm back home now over six years. So whether doing global roles or Europe roles, I've been able to base myself from here. You know, absolutely, I travel where and when I need to travel. But of course, we've got Zoom, we've got technology. There's so much. I think if COVID has done 
anything in a positive light, it has been to accelerate that, accelerate digital and what's possible in terms of remote working. But yeah, so the whole family piece very much front of mind in the decisions that I've made over my career today. It sounds like one of your values, freedom to succeed in Diageo is being recognised there and you're living proof of it. So then, as you say, you've done many different roles within Diageo and now your role is, you know, you're globally in charge of talent. So talk to us about top talent and assessing that from a global perspective and what you do now and has that evolved or changed over the years what are you looking out for now in top talent and speaking of COVID, has that altered anything in relation to what talent need to have now in the world of work yeah it's a great question john so i would say in terms of like the context the competition for great talent is fiercer than ever I was in London last week. The headhunters were referring to the talent landscape as being white hot globally, so beyond red hot or blue. So some of the trends that we're seeing now, talent becoming more transportable across industries. So we're competing for talent with organisations that are outside of our industry. So that is slightly different than previously. The scarcity of talent is real and this need to solve shortage from the inside out. So, you know, building talent from within, I think, is absolutely key. The competition for quality, diverse talent is particularly strong. And I do think that the whole thing is being amplified by this great resignation, as it's been called, a big quit. You know, I was just reading recently a survey that said 40 percent of the workforce is considering leaving their employer and employee experience being a key driver of the trend. So, you know, I think lots of things have changed as a result of COVID. We talked about you know, virtual working as one. Digital, you know, it has totally accelerated the move to digital channels in the drinks industry where Diageo is based. You know, we saw a huge move from the on-trade, the pubs, into the off-trade you know, take home trade, but also through the digital channels. So, you know, a real need to move with that and a need for leaders to you know, be skilled to build their functional knowledge. You know, we talk about the digital first mindset. So that's certainly something that we're looking for. So I would say one thing remains consistent, certainly for us in Diageo, we're looking for leaders with humility who are always learning. You know, beyond that, we're seeking disruptive thinking. You know, we're looking at raw potential, John, versus longevity of experience. Really, people with learning agility, with drive, with adaptability, who are able to adjust quickly. You know, definitely seeing the pace of change continuing to speed up. You know, we talked about some of the, the changes in channels. We've had to move very fast in order to adapt. And one of the things that we did actually was to codify some of the behavioural traits essential for success during the pandemic. But also we believe that these are traits that are going to be really important post pandemic into the future. So including those things like learning agility, curiosity, the importance of scanning the external environment, understanding the trends flexibility, resourcefulness, alongside resilience. So having a positive outlook, the ability to put things in perspective, 
to learn quickly and to recover quickly. Yeah, and all innately human traits that that we're looking for. And we've done many different restructuring and downsizings down through the years, Joan. But when people work in a particular sector, you talk about talent being transportable there. People often get kind of very focused in a siloed way and saying, I can only work in this sector. So maybe talk to me about, you know, the diversity of sectors that you're bringing people into Diageo from now that you wouldn't have considered before. Sure. You know, I think a couple of things, John, the message around skilling, so upskilling, reskilling, we're seeing quite a bit of that going on and, you know, the need for organisations really to do that. So, you know, to have a good sense of what are the skills required for the future. We talked about digital leadership skills, people skills are fundamental, you know, and that's fairly consistent across industries. And the other new area that I would call out is very much in the area of ESG, so environmental, social and governance. I think the other piece, John, is like not just in terms of talent from different organisations and different industries, but also rethinking our whole talent strategy in terms of where to find talent. We've been much more selective in terms of going out to find those niche skills that we don't have access to within the organization. You know, the whole like the buy, build, borrow, I've heard bounce, boss, all these B words, but being very discerning about where we're going to buy and being, you know, broader in our thinking in terms of where we're going to get those skills. I mentioned earlier on the whole build strategy is key. So if there's one big message that we're sharing with our leaders at the moment, It is about their role as best talent builders. The role of the leader is to grow other leaders. The expectation is that um, leaders identify and grow their successors because scarcity of talent, it's like there genuinely is a war out there. So we've got to find solutions from within to complement those skill sets that we're going out for. And then the third piece, John, that I'd mention, just in terms of like kind of transportability, it's actually looking for talent or looking for talent solutions in different places. So the whole idea of partnerships, you know, so we're doing actually some swaps with some of our consultancies, you know, whether that's in like specialist skill sets like digital or indeed in tax and and finance, where we're um, bringing partners in on secondments, for example, and also doing some swaps across the businesses. And that's starting to yield some results for us as well. You know, and with that, then we can continue to build our own expertise from within by drawing on this on our external partners. I want to ask you a quick question. Is your organisation going through unprecedented growth, restructuring or change? At Harmonix, through our consultancy and coaching work with business and HR leaders, we face one common challenge. The overwhelming pace of change and not enough time or resources to properly reset to become future fit. If you would like to register for a free diagnostic session with one of our team of experts, go to harmonix.ie to get in touch today. Now, back to the podcast. Yeah, I'm always saying that that there's great opportunity when consultancy partners are working on a project for you to learn new skills in the organization and they come in, they do the project and they're gone. So you need to learn from them when they're working with you. 
that's really interesting. And then if we go to diversity and inclusion, because I know that that's something that you've been heavily involved in as well. And talk to me about what you're doing from the point of view of that area. So inclusion and diversity is absolutely continues to be a business imperative for us, John. It's an area that Diageo puts a lot of emphasis in, you know, so we would have a pretty good track record in terms of gender diversity, more increasingly now with ethnic diversity, there are two global pillars that we're really going after from a, an inclusion and diversity perspective. But of course, there are broader elements to diversity as well. And the markets or functions tend to focus in on, you know, what's most meaningful in a particularly geographical area, for example. You know, inclusion and diversity, it's one thing to say that you're committed to it, but absolutely, you need to be authentically following through on that. You know, you can only tell a good story if there is evidence around it, you know, so if you are doing the right things. For us in Diageo, it is around really building inclusion and diversity into the fabric or the essence of who we are. So it's right at the heart of our purpose in terms of celebrating life every day, everywhere. By that, we think very broadly. So that could be learning for life, for example. You know, but it's about having the right targets in place, you know, setting out your stall. These are the actions that we're going to take. And every market, actually, we've got, you know, almost 30 markets in Diageo. Every market has a five-year inclusion and diversity plan. It's part of a broader ESG plan, we call it Society 2030. We can talk about that, you know, if you're interested. But basically, inclusion and diversity is one of our three key pillars of Society 2030. We need to continue to be progressive. So we introduced a family leave policy with 26 weeks paid leave for mothers, fathers, regardless of how baby was conceived, regardless of gender or sexual orientation. They're the things that, you know, staying ahead, I think, are really key. And then also in terms of, you know, the role that we play in the community. So not just with our workforce, but are we accessing diverse suppliers, for example? You know, what are the partnerships that we're forming? So continuing to work on those areas, John, is really, really key to success. And you speak about Society 2030 there and the younger talent that are coming into organisations now. Are you seeing that they're asking more of these type of questions of an organisation when they're looking to join and make decisions about where they go? That's society piece and sustainability. Completely agree, John. I mean, I think, you know, the millennials, as we refer to, you know, just such an acute sense of purpose, you know, and wanting more actually from organisations and being very demanding of the corporate world in terms of the role that we play in building a more sustainable future. You know, that's key. I think in general, though, even, you know, post-COVID, I think COVID has encouraged people to stop and to take stock of what they want from life. So, the whole area of purpose is an area that we've worked on for a long time in Diageo. Back in 2006, actually, we were running a leadership program and it had purpose at the heart of it. But it's about putting that purpose to good effect. It's purpose to impact. It's one thing to have 
the rhetoric around purpose, but it's what are you doing? You know, what are the genuine plans that show that you're going to make a difference? So, you know, this is an area that Diageo is putting a lot of effort into from a brand perspective, you know, in terms of regenerative agriculture. You might have heard about partnerships with Glanbia, for example, you know, education for farmers around regenerative agriculture, looking at our packaging as well in terms of sustainable packaging. We've got three elements of our Society 2030 plan. I mentioned inclusion and diversity. The second area is around positive drinking. So, you know, encouraging awareness of drink in moderation, the role that drink plays in society, you know, ensuring a corporate socially responsible lens is brought to that. So, you know, through our educational programs and then what we call grain to glass sustainability. We've got to take this seriously in terms of the role that corporates can play it is about guaranteeing the future, the future of our planet and the future for the next generations. You know, guarantee next generation are very, very conscious of this. It's one of the key questions actually that they ask of organizations at the point of attraction. Yeah, and it's something that I think organizations need to take um, more of a, a part in playing. And obviously talent will decide where they go in a scarce talent market. So it's definitely moving up the scale. Just wanted to touch you, you mentioned briefly COVID there, and I've been facilitating a number of sessions with leadership teams and reflecting back on the last two years, and we can definitely see the productivity was high, and we just got through it, you know, it's kind of been a, a tough two years for lots of people. How have you seen people recover from that, from a global perspective, and how has it changed them as individuals, do you think, in any way? Yeah, I think without a doubt, John, the way we work has fundamentally changed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, we talked about organisations needing to quickly implement digital solutions to allow for more productive, efficient, effective remote working, for example. Um, I was just reading there over the last few days, the McKinsey Global Survey of Executives, where they were talking about companies having accelerated the digitization of their customer and supply chain interactions and of their internal operations by about three to four years as a result of um, the pandemic. So I, I think as well, John, the pandemic has radically altered employees' views of the relationship with work and has placed more of a priority on the employee experience. Um, you know, I think it was actually Gartner was um, indicating that 65% of employees have shifted their attitude towards the value of aspects outside of work. Um, so about the same percentage are rethinking um, the place that work should play in their lives and you know, people longing for a bigger change in their lives. So it has you know, caused, I think, us all to stop and think. So. You know, at Diageo, we predict this is likely to impact employee behaviours and engagement well into the future by placing a greater emphasis on wellness and well-being. And then when you when you look at leadership development and growing talent from within, have you made any changes to how you develop your talent now as a result of that? You talk about wellness, for example. Are there new constituent parts to leadership development and how you grow people? 
Yeah, great question, John. So we've just embarked on a program, a coaching program with our leaders. So we plan to have um, our top 650 leaders participate in a coaching program. And you know, I think it's come at just the right time, you know, where we've been remote over the last two years or so. Interestingly, we're going to bring our leaders together for this program because we believe the essence of coaching, it is in the interpersonal relationships and it's timely. We're also very conscious of, you know, new people into the business who haven't been like fully connected into Diageo and have missed out a lot in that sense you know it's like with the best will in the world and there's a lot that we can do remotely over zoom but we are bringing our leaders together for this um coaching program it actually it's back to basics john it's around ensuring that our leaders are seeing and hearing their people that they're fully understanding the diverse needs of their people that they're in tune with you know health and um, both physical health mental health i think is a growing issue for organizations so being very much in tune with that and um yeah so strong focus on coaching people to enable them to thrive and to be at their best and um, so that's one of the interventions the other areas john then are more on the functional side where you know some of our key strategic areas you know not just in leadership development but also digital and esg as i mentioned so we're running um, functional skills programs for our leaders so that they've got the knowledge they need to be, you know, great role models in this area and to really help their teams see the role that they play. So we're partnering with some, you know, academic institutes, some best practice, because this is an area that it's going to require a lot more experimentation and learning. I'm not sure of anyone having all the answers, John, and that's something that, you know, we're really encouraging our leaders to do back to the growth mindset, just being very open, trying things out, experimenting, taking some risks and, you know, logging the learning and taking it from there. Well, that in itself is leadership, isn't it? That you're displaying that in trying to create, I guess, the curriculum for the future that will always be evolving as the context changes. And what I sense is this challenge between having to deliver for the organization and taking time out to develop yourself. So how do you manage that conflict that a lot of people are really challenged with from a time perspective now and back to back diaries and the world we live in, which, as you say, accelerated digitally has accelerated as well the pace of work in which we're trying to to operate in? Yeah. You know, it's, I think it's back to basics on some of these things, John, like we're actually doing some work around um, diary management, you know, some fundamentals around not having the back to back meetings, but actually logging some time for yourself, even in terms of like the preparation for meetings. We've been doing some work with our leaders as well around meeting effectiveness, um, you know, and I think we've just lost sight of some of that so it's like learning to learn again how these things work and then i suppose the other piece is around like putting on your own oxygen mask first you know this is something that we really encourage our leaders to do the importance of rest you know without rest you can't be at your best you know rest is something that helps us all put things in perspective you know and see the world in a different way so 
it is about, you know, just being mindful of these things and building in the time, baking in the time for ourselves so that we can be at our best. Yeah, it's role modelling great leadership, isn't it? And people take their insights from what's going on at a level above them and uh, they tend to do with their leaders too if they're going to work crazy hours. I, I had a HR lady I was speaking with last week and she's heading actually today to London to visit a family friend and she feels that she can't turn off her phone to be on a day off. And that right to disconnect is missing in that culture and organization and is hence having a real challenge around talent retention, you know? Yeah. And I think, John, as we said, you know, people, the pandemic has caused people to stop and think. Um, So, you know, I think as organizations, we need to be very much in tune with what's going on, you know, and just watching things like that. So, you know, that's why our coaching program, I think, is you know, we feel optimistic about it in terms of having leaders really invest in knowing their teams and what's important to them. Yeah, I had Siobhan Scanlon on from Musgrave who looks after the early career and she mentioned, uh, you know, whatever age we're at, we want to be listened to as humans. And I think that's a huge learning that we can take as a result of the experience we've had for the last couple of years. So, Joan, I know time is precious for you. So uh, just to wrap up, maybe some quick fire questions for you. A book that you'd most recommend? Um, well, that's a difficult one. I think um, in terms of um, organisationally, Meaning Inc. Um, comes to mind by Garnick Baines. Um, it's the book that first taught me about the power of purpose for organisations and individuals. Um, so I'd call that one out. And then maybe just on a personal note, a novel called A Secret History by Donna Tart. Um, it's one that my friend Ruth Coffey introduced me to not long after our uni days together in UCC about 30 years ago. Great. Great. Uh, do you listen to podcasts? And if so, would you recommend anyone? Um, podcasts? Not so much. But I'll, one that I would call out is Crazy Good Turns. Um, but it's very specific. So I'm a big admirer of David White's poetry. Um, David White, he's a poet, he's a, a very wise leader, he's the son of an Irish mother and an English father and actually his series of Three Sundays webinars on a range of subjects were a real nourishment for my, for my soul um, during the pandemic. So David White in any podcast form or webinar form. Brilliant, brilliant. You mentioned your parents there but best life or career advice ever given to you in life and by whom? I have a couple, John. So one is actually just a little saying that a friend of mine shared, Deirdre, came from her dad, and this is years ago, and it was um, live happy, live free, love those who love thee, keep a few strings to your bow, which, you know, for me is about kind of empowerment, knowing that there are choices, the the power of love, and um, yes, that's one. And then I guess the other one is around having the courageous conversation which is something that I've learned more over time. So with candor and with compassion, a former Diageo leader, a lady named Eliana Zem, she was our HR director in the US at the time. And she shared with me an important lesson in business partnering and impact some years ago. And what she said to me was, you're not there for other people's comfort, you're there for their success. And you know that piece of advice combined with purpose has been a very powerful driver for me over time it's compelled me really 
to make what I say and what I do count more for others. Brilliant. And lastly, if you're to name one person that motivates and inspires you, who would they be and why? My mother, John. So she's passed 10 years now, just last week, but she continues to inspire me. She was just so generous, so generous with her knowledge, her time, her wisdom. She was someone who showed us the way, the mighty woman with the torch is how the family described her. And, you know, I feel if I continue to grow, I might one day become half as good as she is. She's an enduring source of inspiration and impact in my life. Oh, fantastic, Joan. I could talk to you forever as always. Thanks for sharing your wisdom your humility and your insight. It goes to show where you've ended up in your career and that you've impacted an awful lot of people in your life and will continue to do so. So continue good health and success for you in your career. And thanks a lot for joining the card today. Thanks very much, John. Thanks for listening to the card today. We would really appreciate if you could follow, subscribe and share as we seek to grow our community of listeners. Speak again soon.